Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. This morning, we begin a series throughout the month of January on our church's four distinctives, worship, community, Catholicity, and keeping your kids. January is a good time to remember our foundation, and I will begin today by a sermon on preaching about keeping our kids, notably, I'll call it Parenting with Paul, because we're going to look at a few different places in the book of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul talks about different ways that the church is called to to treat its members. But we can approach what Paul says as parents because Paul, he considered himself a spiritual father. And the encouragements and admonitions that he gives to the church are applicable to us as parents. So some of you might be under the impression that I sound a little bit different. That's actually just your imagination. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers, certainly, uh, for me this morning. And if I don't hit any really high notes, you'll understand why. But the the best way, really, to get into this is just to do that. So let's, let's, let's start with the very first point. We could take a lot of points from 1 Corinthians with regards to parenting. Uh, There are some we will actually not even get to, but I'm I'm going to to give you four today. And the first one we just read. The very first point when we consider how how we should be better parents, what we should do as parents to keep our, our kids, number one, we should approach our children as saints. We should approach our children as saints. Saints. Again, 1 Corinthians 7, 14, he says, The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So how do you approach, how do you look at your kids? is common among some of our circles to say that you should look at your kids like they are natural-born devils and they get worse from there. Well, let me ask you a question. First of all, we must what we take under consideration what Scripture says. And no matter whether or not something uh, appeals to our natural mind, then we still have to say, what does Scripture say about this? But when you train your kids, you're training them, your expectations for them will be fulfilled one way or another. If you give them the perspective that you are going to be a terrible person in your activity, and it's only by some really good belt or wisdom that we use to help you keep from being that person, 
Well, that conveys an expectation. But Paul, on the other hand, here calls them, the Greek word is hagios, which we interpret as holy, or also it's translated in other places in this same book as saints. Now that is not what we are accustomed to. We don't think in these terms, because after all, you've got to achieve 17 steps on the holiness ladder before you get to be saints. Now, whose who standards are those? Well, usually mine. But Paul says that children in a home born to a believing parent have the status of a holy one. This does not mean that children of believing parents don't have original sin. They do. It doesn't mean that they are not naturally prone to sin, that they have sin natures, or that they will not face temptation. And it doesn't even mean that once you are, we'll say, in the covenant, once you are baptized, that you are locked in and nothing else matters. Well, yeah, it does. But Paul is simply talking about their status. The children of believing parents are called to live a life of faith, to repent of their sins, to love God, and to love one another. But they are to do this especially having been baptized as members of God's church. Their status is different. And this will affect the way we teach our kids. If you, when they sin, if you express to them that they're only conforming to their father, the devil, they have an expectation of, well, this is who my regular, my natural father is. But instead, <coughs> excuse me, we're called to confer, to just speak of them the way Scripture does. We should treat, we treat them as Scripture calls us to treat them. Christian parents should remind their children that they belong to Jesus. So when I say, say that they have different status, it's just they belong to Him. They're not under the control. They're not bound. We should not teach them that they are bound to live apart from God. Yes, apart from God's grace they are, but you know what? So is the case for all of us. Apart from God's grace, we all would fall away. So we must live in a way and teach our children in a way that we are calling them up to live according to the way Scripture addresses them. We have, again, we have God's Word here. We also have His Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. When He says, let me back up to uh, chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one, are one body, 
so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink in, into one Spirit. So we have also the promise of baptism. This should be, for us as parents, an aid to repentance. We remind our children of who they are and call them to their baptism. Have you ever told your kids that their last name means something? Have you ever told your kids that they represent you? You ever said anything like that? You ever thought anything like that? I mean, whether or not we say it, when our kids do something embarrassing, we don't just say, I don't know who that is, whatever. <laughs> Somebody ought to really deal with their kid right there. We don't do that. No, we know it affects us. It has bearing on us. Well, it's the same way with the one who belongs to God. They represent the Lord himself because he's called them. So, so we get the privilege of reminding our children of their status as covenant members. So we should here be, be guarded, be careful to not look down on our kids because they've not achieved some type of status that we have. I mean, really, what do any of us have that we earned? How, what, what makes you a better person than your children? Is it because you've achieved a certain level of intellectual ability? Is it because you can recite doctrines that they can't? Is it that you're just a more lovable person in general? I mean, what, what do you bring to this that was not given of God? The same is true for our kids. We are called to practice and walk in faith. And we're called to encourage them to walk in faith. That's what this status is. It's not that we sit back and say, well, they belong to God. I really hope they turn out good. No. We pursue them. But we pursue them according to the status Scripture gives. Number two, the Apostle Paul calls his church and he calls us as parents to deal swiftly with sin. Deal swiftly with sin. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not, as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent from the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered together um, excuse me, along with the spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We're familiar with the call that Paul gives to discipline this man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now hopefully not, none of us or none of our children will ever fall into that sin. 
But the principle should be applied in other areas as well. Paul calls the church here, he exhorts them because the people were proud of themselves. They were proud of various things that they could, they could list that they have done. And Paul says, that is crazy. How can you be proud? What, what business do you have of being proud when you're letting this sin just go? So his exhortation is that they're called to deal with sin. So this is a ditch that sometimes we as parents can fall into. And, and I would say uh, those of us who, who are covenant-believing, uh, those who baptize their, have their kids baptized, we can sometimes slip into this trap of thinking, see, my kid, my kid is a saint. Therefore, I don't really have to, I mean, the, the Lord's going to deal with their sin. Yes, and he's appointed a person or two people to help with that process. And that is us as parents. If we become too confident of our children's status, we can fail to deal with the sin that will eventually wreck our home. The same way that those in the church, this church at Corinth was not dealing with a sin that was causing damage, not only to the to the one who had sinned, but causing damage throughout the church. Paul's point is that a little leaven, leaven's used here in a negative way, a little, it's going to spread throughout the entire loaf. If you allow sin in and you don't deal with it, then it's going to permeate everywhere. Now we, see, we see this in our home. When you let one child's sin go, do the other children say, my I really hope that I don't become like that. I'm going to redouble my efforts to be godly today. No, it doesn't normally work that way. When, when we allow sin in one, it spreads. Now, it's also easy, though, for us because we see our children's sin and it looks a lot more, well, it looks sometimes cute or nice or something. And it may be, in one odd sense, cute when they're two or three. But when they do the same thing, when, when the two-year-old's tantrum that looks kind of you know, quaint happens at a, with a 13 or 14-year-old, that's another matter. So we must deal with it at the appropriate time. Deal with it when they are young. Now, now, we can manufacture reasons why we don't deal with sin. Sometimes it's because we say our lives are full, we've got a lot going on, we've got you know, some, at least seven events every night of the week, and then um, thankfully on Sunday only four. So you know, therefore we have things going all the time, and I just don't have time to deal with this little piddling thing that I'm sure will get better on its own. And it doesn't. And that's a frustration. So we have to give ourselves, and even at sometimes we may have to forego some other things that we might want to do because the most important thing is blessing your family. Now sometimes it's, it can be just because we're lazy. And laziness as a parent 
can be at times it manifests itself in not dealing with a sin that's present. Now, some people, when you hear this, you will say to yourself, how do I know? I'm sure there's sins, and I'm sure I'm missing things, and I don't want to miss things, and, and you're kind of scaring me here, Pastor, so I don't know, so what am I supposed to do? Well, whenever, you're, whenever you, you want to do something that's right, but you're not sure how to do it, the best answer is always to begin by prayer. Ask your heavenly Father who loves you more than you love yourself and loves your kids more than you love them, ask Him to reveal to you and your family what sin should be dealt with. And then, an additional prayer, pray that He will give you the handles to deal with it. Because there are times when we see sin in our home. We, we, we see things in our kids, but we don't have anything in particular other than you're really getting on my nerves. Okay? Well, don't discipline kids just for purely getting on my nerves. Now, if you tell them to stop something and they don't stop, well, that's disobedience. But you can pray that God will give handles for dealing with sin, and He will. If it's not clear what, you, what you're disciplining for, ask God. He'll make it clear. And sometimes if you give a little bit more leeway, purposeful leeway, focused leeway where you give a kid a little bit more opportunity and then they take advantage of it, then you have handles. And then you can proceed to deal with the sin. So, the second thing. After we approach our children as saints, we're called to deal with sin. Then number three, we're called to teach wisdom, not just precision. Teach wisdom, not just precision. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to the, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are the least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that, is, that there is not a wise man. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? There were important matters going on in this church, uh, in the church at Corinth, but there was not enough wisdom among those who consider themselves mature to deal with it. So Paul reminds the, the church here that they're, they're going to have, you're going to have a test in time. That test is you're going to judge the world and you're going to judge angels. Now just tell you right now, I'm not giving exposition on that right now. But the way that he goes about in, in his argumentation is, is really fascinating here because he said that 
Many of you who consider yourselves mature, you can't deal with simple problems. So here's my suggestion. You take the least esteemed among you, the least esteemed in the church, and let them deal with, let them judge these matters. Now, we automatically would say, well, that's absurd. Well, well tell me. Have you ever seen adults that, that know that, that they can... They know the precise way to deal with everything, but they don't have the wisdom to deal with much at all. They, 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 they can give very tight answers for certain questions. But when it comes to actually applying what Scripture says, they don't really have it. Children are often... Wonderful little natural lawyers. They have an innate sense of things, even if they can't explain why. They have a, a sense often of what is just and what is not. Well, we as parents should not say, well, that's actually not fully there, so you just need to be quiet and let me talk. No, our calling as parents is to, in, is to raise that it is to inform them, is to help teach them wisdom, teach them when they have the right instincts, explain why those are the right instincts. Because, again, Paul says we have, I mean, our calling is to judgment, to, to distinguish right and wrong. Now, sometimes we can, we can handle right from wrong. But can you, can you and can you teach your kids the difference between good, better, and best? This demands not only that we give them God's Word, but that we guide them in how to use God's Word. So we must be mature in our parenting. <clears throat> so when our kids are teenagers, we can't continue to talk to them like they're in elementary school. We have to adjust accordingly. And those of you that have teenagers, you, you know this. If you've raised your kids, you, you know you, you have to wisely go about teaching your kids. You have to change the way you teach. You don't change the principles, but, but you change what you are, how you explain these things. And that's what philosophy is. It's learning to love and apply wisdom. So parents, whether you like it or not, your children are looking to you as philosophers. They're looking to you to know why this is better than that. Now, the Ten Commandments are good, but not everything is a question of did you kill him or did you not? You have to move forward. You have to, you have to go, but you have to move on from there. Let's say that, that your child reads a book and there's a situation that comes up that's, asked, you know, he or she asks, was this right? Well, if you only just say, 
yes or no, you're missing an opportunity. You actually have a chance when these types of discussions come up to, 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 to talk about it, to listen. Or maybe even, let's say, your own choices. Have you ever watched something that your kids, your kids have asked, Dad, Mom, why can you watch that but I can't? Do you have an answer? Do you have an answer besides, be quiet, you're too young to understand? Because that works until they get about five. And then, now I'm not even saying that that is the wrong answer. Maturity plays a part in this, absolutely. But we must, when it comes to, to being wise men and women, we must be willing to listen to the sharpening influence of our kids as well. We may think sometimes that as long as, I, as, as long as they just adopt all of my preferences, then they'll be fine. But that's not going to work. They need to hear from you. They also need to hear from other wise men and women, living and dead, about what it means to be wise. So, so, so practically, what do you do to, to stir these types of conversations? Well, first of all, I would say read stories to your kids. And that, that's, that's not something that has to stop just because they hit eight years old. Continue reading. You, you and they will come across more interesting situations in books than you will ever hopefully live in your life. Those situations are opportunities for you to guide them in wisdom. But also, practically, be sure to listen to your kids when you're having a conversation. You, I'm sure been around the type of person who, when you, know, you, you start, you say, how are you doing? And then they talk for 15 minutes and then they walk away and say, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Okay? Okay, don't talk about your spouse or anything like that if that's what, what you're thinking here. No, this is something we do sometimes with our kids. We talk a lot, and then we think, I really enjoyed that conversation. Was it a conversation? Wisdom is, is going, it's, it's listening and it's talking. It doesn't mean that both views are totally valid. One is hopefully much more charged with God's word and God's wisdom than another, but be sure to listen as well. And the last thing, number four, the Apostle Paul calls us to do all things in love. Of course, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. This is a hard passage to practice. Because as parents, we think everything that we do is out of love, right? 
Every, everything. I wake up every morning. I, and you, you know, fill in the blanks of the things that you do. We think this is, for lo- this is love. But sometimes what we think is love is actually just me doing it because this is what I want to do and I have free labor around who it's my job to teach them. Or when we discipline, it's because I just want you to stop acting that way and you're really bothering me, so I'm going to make you stop. I'm going to make you stop. Okay? So, so the call to love goes well beyond me doing things for my own sake. Our words of wisdom as that were mentioned in the previous point will do very little if our only goal is to conform our children and family to our own image. When we fail to love our children and our parenting, our excellent words sound to our kids just like the, all the adults on a Charlie Brown cartoon. Which, by the way, that's actually, that voice was a trombone. In all the Charlie Brown cartoons, what that actually is, is a trombone. As, you could have taken that straight from the Apostle Paul. That's exactly what we sound like when we talk to our kids without love. We sound like an empty note. Our words, if they lack God's love, will actually can bring poison and not blessing. (coughs) Excuse me. You can be the wisest, cleverest, have the best sense of humor, the most noble reputation, but if you lack love in your home, you're not acting as a good parent. These elements, having all those things, are great, but they must be undergirded by sacrificial, soul-nourishing, single-minded, self-giving love of your kid, towards your kids and even towards your spouse because your kids will reflect often the love that they see patterned between you and your spouse. But there is also good news here as well. Even if you're not the smartest, the wisest, you don't have the best sense of humor, if you parent your children in self-sacrificial love, all the rest doesn't really matter. Because just like the things that Paul will go on to say, prophecies will fail, tongues will cease, knowledge will vanish away, No matter how wise you are right now, it will go away at some age. You will not always be the smartest person in the room. You will not always be the most clever. You will not always have the best wit. Your words will fail you at times. But the love you poured out on your children will be remembered. It will not go away. So when you discover you're not acting in love, when you see that you're not doing something that you should, you say, have I just ruined it for good? I've got all these years of all this stuff that I've done and it's wrong, so what do I do? You just repent. You confess your sin. 
on one hand, it sounds really basic. And that's part of the good news. It's really basic. It's easy. <coughs> Confess. Confess your sin to your kids. Repent to them. Get up and then start loving them again. And then when you fail, repeat. There is no secret sauce. There is no easy button when it comes to keeping our kids. We're called to remember who God says they are, to deal swiftly with sin, to pursue wisdom with them, and to do it all in love. And this is how we practice for eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for hearing us and for providing for us. We pray that you would use us now, that we would indeed be faithful and godly parents, and that our children would grow in your wisdom, and that our relationships to them would grow at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.